So here's the first thing I want to talk about when we look at Peter's life is that Peter had a bold exterior, but his faith backstory is filled with shame and failure. So I think for a lot of us, Peter is one of the most relatable figures in Scripture. He had a real dynamic personality. He's the kind of guy that I bet most people either really liked Peter or couldn't stand him. I bet there weren't a whole lot of people who were kind of lukewarm when they thought about Peter. And he was bold. Think about some of the stories that we know about Peter from the Bible, right? Peter's the guy who was willing to get out of the boat and walk on water when he saw Jesus walking on the water. And he took his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink. And it's easy for us to be critical of him, but let's remember he was the only one who was bold enough to step out of the boat. He was rough around the edges. He had a habit of putting his foot in his mouth. In fact, he went so far as to try and rebuke Jesus in Matthew chapter 16. His temper led him to cut off the ear of the high priest's servant on the night that Jesus was arrested. Now, some of us can relate to Peter because we're a little more rough around the edges like he was. We're a little more bold. We're a little more outspoken. But I recognize not all of us are like that. Some of us are more introverted. Some of us are more shy. Some of us are more timid. But all of us can relate to Peter because we've all made mistakes. Whether you're an extrovert or not, you know what it feels like to fail. And Peter failed big time. So we're going to take a look at, at Peter's failure. It comes in Luke chapter 22, verses 54 through 57. So, so they arrested Jesus and led him to the high priest's home, and Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I do not even know him. I want to give you a little bit of backstory on that in case you're wondering, well, what's the big deal? Why are we singling out Peter? It's not like any of the other disciples are standing up and sticking up for Jesus, right? But if you go back a little bit in chapter 22, you're going to see that Jesus warns the disciples that the devil wants to sift them like wheat. And then he specifically tells Peter, Peter, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you that your faith won't fail and that when you come back, you will strengthen your brothers. And Peter, as he was known to do, he starts getting pretty boastful. And he boasts that he would go to prison with Jesus, that he would even die with Jesus. In fact, in another one of the Gospels, he kind of throws everybody else under the bus. He says, even if all these other guys fall away from you, Jesus, I won't. I'm with you to the bitter end. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tonight or in the morning, you will deny me that you even know me three times. And so we just looked in verse 57 at the first time that Peter denied Jesus. Shortly after that, it happens a second time. Then about an hour later, another person said, certainly you are with Jesus because you are a Galilean. And here's how Peter responds to that. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. How crushing it must have been to look into the eyes of Jesus at that moment for Peter. 
to see the sadness that was in the gaze of Jesus. And I don't think the sadness was for himself for the most part. Even though he'd been abandoned by his closest friends, even though he knew the anguish that was about to come upon him, I think the sadness was for Peter. I think he was sad that Peter was going to experience all this shame and guilt and failure. What a compassionate, amazing Savior we serve. And Peter was broken. He says he ran away weeping bitterly, and can you blame him? Like This is the same guy that just earlier that day was swearing undying devotion to Jesus. I'll never, I'll never fail you, right? I'm going to be with you the whole time. This is the same guy that was in Jesus' inner circle. He wasn't just one of the 12 disciples. He was one of the inner circle. He was one of Jesus' closest friends. He had been with Jesus for three years. He had seen him perform many, many miracles. In fact, he had just seen Jesus literally radiate the glory of God during the transfiguration. He had sworn to stick by Jesus no matter what earlier in the day, and then just like that, his biggest failure. He denies that he knows Jesus three times because he was scared. He failed. But, thankfully, that is not the end of Peter's story. Now, I know it's really tempting to say, well, if I would have been there, I wouldn't have denied him. But that's the same kind of attitude that got Peter in trouble. That's basically what Peter said. Hey, even if all these other guys chicken out Jesus, I won't. But we've all denied Jesus. We've all denied the presence of God in our lives. Maybe for you this week, it was when you were at school and those students were gossiping about a classmate and you didn't have the courage to stop it. Or maybe it was when you were at work and the guy started telling that, that crude joke or that off-color joke and you just hung around and listened to it and laughed right along. Or maybe when you were in the grocery store this week and the cashier was having a terrible day and you felt like God was saying, you should pray for her. But you were too worried about what the person behind you might think, so you didn't do it. Or maybe it's that habit that you can't break, that you promised the last time was the last time, and then you tripped up and did it again. See, we all know what it's like to feel ashamed for denying Christ. We've all done it. But just like Peter, it doesn't have to be the end of your story either. Because Jesus came to free you from that. He came to get you out from underneath that guilt and that shame and that failure. And that brings us to our second point. And that's that the resurrected Christ met Peter in his shame and gave him a fresh start. Now here's where this proof of life theme that we've had in this series is going to start showing up. Because you need to know that Jesus was killed on a cross. That he really went to the cross for our sins. He really died. He was buried in a tomb. And then they rolled a heavy stone over the entrance of that tomb. They positioned a squad of Roman guards by the tomb. Jesus was dead. He had given his life for his people. He who knew no sin became sin for us. But praise God, he didn't stay there. Praise God, he rose from the grave to conquer sin and death for you and for me. And we're going to continue with that part of the story. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, says, Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have, see they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Nick, you may have to hit it for me, bud. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, 
But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Shots fired there. <laughs> he stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then they hadn't understood the scriptures that, Jesus, that said Jesus must rise from the dead, and they went home. There is a lot going on in those couple of passages, so let's kind of break it down. Now we have the benefit of hindsight. And we know as we read this that Jesus rose from the grave, but I want you to put yourself in Peter and John's shoes as they're hearing this information from Mary in real time. The first thing that I notice is it says they ran to the tomb. They had to see for themselves what was going on, and this was no nonchalant reaction. They ran to the tomb. And I think it's funny that John is humble enough to never even mention himself by name. John never calls himself by name. He always refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. But he's competitive enough to point out he outran Peter to the tomb, right? And if you think about how the disciples always argued about who was going to be the greatest, I would imagine there was a competitive streak that kind of ran through most of the disciples. Now, even though John was the first to reach the tomb, Peter was the first to go in. So for some reason, John hesitates. John hangs up outside the tomb. Maybe he thought the body was still there. And so if he would have gone into the tomb with the body there, he would have been unclean. Or maybe it was just out of respect for Jesus. We don't really know, but for some reason or another, John hangs up and he just peers in. But not Peter. As was Peter's nature, he just barges right into the tomb. And he sees the linen wrappings. And all of a sudden, after he goes in, John's like, okay, well, if Peter's going to go in, I'll go in. And I can imagine they ribbed each other over and over as they told that story down the road. You know how guys are, right? So they're telling the story about the events of that place, and, and John's like, now remind me again, Peter, who was the first one to get to the tomb? Peter's like, I'm not sure, but who was the first to go in? You know, that little back and forth that guys do. Now, since our series is titled Proof of Life, I also want to spend just a second and talk about the original language that's used to describe the burial clothes here, because this is significant. So the language that's used talks about a neat and orderly presentation of the burial clothes. They hadn't been ripped. They hadn't been torn. They hadn't been cut away from Jesus. In fact, it was almost as if the body of Jesus just simply evaporated out from beneath the burial clothes. In fact, it's important that in verse 10, it says that John saw and believed. Now, the word saw there doesn't mean just it was made visible. It means that he perceived the significance of something. He really saw it. John got it. John believed in the resurrection before he saw the resurrected Christ because of the way the burial clothes were in the tomb. He could tell that it wasn't anything that man had done. That is more proof of life. I want you to think a minute about Peter's massive failure. And I want you to think about he responded to the news from Mary. See, the last interaction that Scripture records between Peter and Jesus before Mary comes and gives them the news is when Jesus turned and looked at him after he had failed him three times. The last interaction Peter had is his epic failure in Jesus looking him in the eye. It would have been so easy for Peter to stay stuck 
and his guilt and shame. It would have been so easy for Peter when Mary came with the news to say, Jesus wouldn't want to see me. I failed him. I'm not worthy. You should have seen the look on his face. But he didn't. He ran to see Jesus. He knew that this was his opportunity to maybe, just maybe, have a second chance with Jesus. Then after this, a short time later, the Bible tells us that Jesus appears to Mary. Then after that, Jesus appears to the disciples in the locked room. We talked about that last week. And then after that, he does it again, only this time Thomas is there. Then in John chapter 21, we see that Jesus again appears to some of the disciples. So to kind of set this up, Peter and six other disciples had gone fishing. And they had fished all night and didn't catch anything. They got skunked. Peter was a failure once again. And then we see the scene unfold. We pick up the story in John 21, verse 4. It says, At dawn, Jesus was standing at the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And he said, Well, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord! When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. He jumped into the water and headed to the shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. Peter's going to get his second chance with Jesus I think it's interesting, John was the first to get to the tomb, Peter was the first to go in. John was the first to recognize Jesus standing on the shore, Peter's the first to jump in to go see his Savior. One of the reasons this story is so cool is it reminds us of one of Peter's very first experiences with Jesus. It's recorded in Luke chapter 5, and in that scene, Peter is mending his fishing nets, he's washing them, he's mending them. And he had just been out on an all-night fishing trip. And once again, he hadn't caught anything, just like in John chapter 21. He, he fishes like I do sometimes. <laughs> so he's mending his nets, and then Jesus gets in his boat, and he says, hey, can we push out from the shore? Jesus wants to teach, and the crowds are pressing him, so Jesus gets pushed out on the water a little bit, and he teaches. And after he's done teaching, he tells Peter, go out deeper and let's fish. And here's how Peter responds to that. Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 5, Peter says, Master, Simon Peter replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. So Peter's been fishing all night, and he hasn't caught anything. 
but he recognizes there's something different about Jesus. He had just got to hear Jesus teach from his boat. So when Jesus says, hey, go out deeper and fish, Peter calls him master. He says, master, we've worked hard all night, but if you say so, we'll let down the nets. Of course, you see, they catch so many fish that basically both boats are about to sink. And what happens is Peter is reminded of his sin. He's struck by how sinful he is, and he asks Jesus to leave. He says, I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. But Jesus calls him to follow him and be a fisher of people. So the experience that Peter had with the resurrected Christ in John chapter 21 is almost identical to what he had had in Luke chapter 5. I think Jesus is being very intentional here. I think Jesus is reminding Peter of his identity. He's reminding Peter of how far he's come since that first interaction. He's reminding Peter that he had called him to be a fisher of people. See, Jesus knew Peter had screwed up. He knew he'd had a big failure. Jesus knew ahead of time he was going to screw up. He told him he was going to. But Jesus still wanted to use him to build his kingdom. Jesus still wanted to use him to help other people pursue God. Do you know that goes for you as well? As a follower of Christ, God wants to use you to build the kingdom. God wants to use you to help other people pursue him. And guess what? Just like Peter, you're going to mess it up. You're going to screw up from time to time. It's just, it's just part of it. Don't let that keep you from getting in the game. Don't let that hold you back from helping somebody else pursue God. I want to continue on with this last encounter between Peter and the risen Jesus. This is so awesome. So John 21, 15, it says, After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Then Jesus repeats this same question in verse 16 and 17. And surely this was a stark reminder to Peter of how he had failed three times because Jesus asked him the question three times. But it's also a chance for, for Peter to make amends in a sense. It's a chance for him to now affirm three times that he loves Jesus. And there's something else that's really interesting in these three questions the first two times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? He uses the word agape. Peter, do you agape me? So if you guys remember back to our, our love sermon series we did in February, we talked about agape as the ultimate love. It's the most powerful love. It's self-sacrificial. It seeks nothing in return. And when Peter responds and he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, he doesn't use agape. He uses philia, that love of friendship or brotherly love. See, I love Peter's humility here. He's learned so much. The old Peter would have said, oh, yes, Lord, I agape you. <laughs> I love you with the most powerful love, but the new Peter uses a much less exalted word. He recognizes his weakness. He recognizes that he won't always love Jesus with that perfect agape love, but that he's going to love Jesus as best as a broken, sinful man can love him. See, Peter's finally figured out that Jesus knows him even better than he knows himself, but Peter still loves him, or excuse me, but Jesus still loves him, and Jesus still wants to use him, and Jesus is still calling him to be a fisher of people. 
Jesus is a God of forgiveness and love. Our past failures don't disqualify us from pursuing him. Our past failures don't define our identity. Now, I'm not saying our past sins don't have consequences. They certainly do. We look around us all the time. We see people who are paying the consequences of bad choices. But Jesus doesn't want you stuck in guilt and shame. He wants you to have a fresh start. He wants to use you to help the next person experience freedom. So let's close with this. The rest of Peter's story is proof that Jesus really did rise from the dead, that he can turn around our most shameful failures. I want to read the the last part of this interaction between Jesus and Peter. It's a powerful picture of a life that's moving from shame and defeat to victory and purpose. John 21, 18 and 19. This is Jesus talking to Peter. He says, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he will glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. So this is the New Living Translation here. The New Living Translation says, I tell you the truth. A lot of translations here say, most assuredly. In other words, Jesus is assuring Peter. This is the ultimate example of bad news, good news. Jesus is saying, Peter, the bad news is, you're going to die for your faith. The good news is, you're going to die for your faith. You're not going to wimp out this time. You're not going to deny me, Peter. Just like a couple of weeks ago when I told you you're going to deny me three times and you did, so now I'm telling you you're not going to deny me again. You're going to to die for your faith. That had to be the most terrifying and encouraging news to Peter at the same time. That he wasn't going to let Jesus down again. And history would show us that Peter did in fact give his life for Jesus. About 34 years after this event, Peter was crucified upside down. He didn't feel he was worthy to be crucified in the same way that his Savior was, who was crucified upside down. The fact that Peter gave his life for Jesus is more evidence of the resurrection. It's more proof of life, and here's why. If Jesus had not risen from the dead and appeared to Peter, do you think there's any way in the world he would have given his life for him? No way. This is the same Peter who denied Jesus three times, and his life wasn't even in immediate danger when he did it. It wasn't the high priest who was questioning Peter. It was a servant girl. And he was too scared to admit that he knew Jesus when his life wasn't in danger. The only way a guy goes from being like that to giving his life for Jesus is if he has an encounter with the resurrected Savior. As if he sees Jesus face to face. And we not only see Peter die for Jesus, but as we get into the next part of the Bible after the Gospels, we see that Peter lives for Jesus. That he has this radical life change. We see it in Acts chapter 2 where he's preaching to the Jews in Jerusalem. It's his first sermon. And here Peter is standing before a crowd of thousands of people. And he's bold in his proclamation. Acts chapter 2 says, Then Peter stepped forward with the eleven other disciples, excuse me, apostles, and shouted to the crowd, God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this. So what's the difference between this Peter and the Peter who denied he knew Jesus three times in the courtyard that night? 
Well, I would say two things. One, this Peter has seen the resurrected Christ. And number two, this Peter is empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has empowered Peter to move past his guilt and his shame and to boldly proclaim the gospel. And the Holy Spirit will do the same thing for you and me when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we ask Him to be Lord and Savior in our life. He gives us that same power. Because guys, God still empowers broken people. God still uses failures to build His kingdom. That's been His MO all along. And He still does that. Peter continued to boldly preach the gospel of Christ. We see him preaching again next in Acts 3, and he's teaching outside the temple gate, which had been the busiest place in all of Jerusalem. And he's preaching that Jesus really was the Messiah, that Jesus really did live a perfect, sinless life, that he really did go to the cross, that he really did die for us, and that he really did rise from the grave, and that he's a witness of that. But it's not just knowing the facts of that story that saves us. It's the response. And so Peter called for a response in Acts chapter 3 during his sermon. As he talked to the crowd, he said, Now repent of your sin and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. See, Peter knew his own failure, his own sin, his own shame had been nailed to the cross. He knew that Jesus had done that for him. And today you have the opportunity to experience that as well. You have the opportunity to experience the risen Christ. And have Jesus take all your sin, all your shame, all your guilt, all your failure, and take it off and nail it to the cross. If you just accept the offer. I pray that you'd make that decision to do that today. If you have questions about how to do that, we'd love to talk with you after the service. We'd love to pray with you. I'm sure the person who invited you here today would love to have that conversation. But I just want to wrap up with this. How do we account for the remarkable changes in Peter's life and in his character. How does someone go from being scared to death to tell a servant girl that he knows Jesus to boldly preaching the gospel to thousands of people? I would submit the only way that he could do that is because he had seen the resurrected Lord. That's more proof of life. That's more evidence of the resurrection. Let's pray. God, as we look at the story of Peter... Just so many things come to mind. Number one, God, thank you that you still use broken people. Thank you, God, that our previous mistakes, our failures, don't disqualify us from knowing you and having a relationship with you because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. So, God, I just pray that we wouldn't wallow in the guilt and in the shame. God, I pray that we would trust that your word says you've removed it as far as the east is from the west, so let's leave it there. Let's not pull it back on our backs and have to live under that burden. God, I pray that we would take your calling seriously to be fishers of people. Because just like you called Peter to help build your kingdom, each and every one of us that put our faith in you, you're calling us to be part of building your kingdom. What a privilege. God, I pray that that we would be excited about it. Lord, lastly, I just, I just thank you that you don't give up on us. I thank you that you didn't give up on Peter and that you don't give up on us. Thank you for your patience, your mercy, your grace. Thank you for your redemption. Thank you that you make all things new. We love you, Jesus, and we ask all this in your precious name. Amen.